Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we've got all the LOLs as we learn lessons by looking back at last year's Lismore floods. Bloody hell! The FCA has been looking into strata remuneration in the UK and back home it's in our line of sight. Oh, bugger! Workers' compensation schemes in New South Wales and Victoria are the cause of much woe. An L will freeze over before I take an interest in flammable cladding. But I'm in the minority. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by senior journalist Miranda Maxwell, deputy editor Wendy Pugh, editor John Deeks, and chairman Terry McMullen. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. Should I care more about flammable cladding? No, you probably should. Yeah, it's a big issue. (laughs) Oh, hello, Miranda. Good morning. I think I just got top billing there. I don't know if that was an accident. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not only that, you've also done an external review of an external review. That's very meta. And good morning, John. Morning. No mention of the weather this week. Well, summer's back in Melbourne, I think, so we can all celebrate that. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Coming up, exclusive on bushfires. And hello, Terry. Good morning. So I believe this week we're going to find out if our esteemed chairman thinks $100,000 is a lot of money. Is that true? Well, if you ask me personally, uh, yes, I wouldn't mind, you know, another 100000 I could maybe afford that Range Rover. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you heard it here, listeners. Anyway, on to the main stories. Miranda, we'll, we'll start with you. The Insurance Council has commissioned an external review of the industry response to last year's record-breaking flood catastrophe. What's the thinking behind this? Well, insurers are on the front foot here, I think. The Insurance Council has hired Deloitte to undertake an in-depth study of the response to those floods that shocked us all early last year. If anything was going to put insurer claims handling procedures to the test, this was definitely it. It broke so many rainfall and river height records and there were almost a quarter of a million claims and losses near $6 billion, which was the most ever for an event in Australia. So the good, the bad and the ugly would have been exposed in managing all those affected policyholders. And there's still about a fifth of the claims to be closed. Andrew Hall has said the extraordinary volume tested insurer systems and exposed shortages of assessors and building labour. So Deloitte thinks it can have this post-mortem report done by about September. It'll be interesting to see what they conclude about how things were managed. And it's also going to evaluate government initiatives. So it won't just be the insurers under the spotlight. Really, this does seem to be the responsible thing to do. I'm sure there'll be some valuable lessons and recommendations made to insurers to help them for the future events. How do you reckon it'll go, John? I guess we shouldn't prejudge an external independent re- review, but uh, we do know that there were there were serious issues with uh, the response to this event. As Miranda says, the size of it was huge and insurers were to an extent overwhelmed and we know we know that there have been record numbers of complaints to AFCA for a for a weather event we also know there's been record numbers of code breaches uh, during the period when this event took place so that does suggest the review will probably find some issues but i think as miranda says you you really do just have to applaud the industry for being willing to look back at something that that was quite painful for them and and learn the lessons that can be learned from it. I mean, to me, that really just shows a determination not to sweep anything under the carpet, to learn the lessons and do better next time. And also an awareness that this event 
probably isn't a one-off. It was a record event, but with climate change, you have to you have to accept that these kind of things could be happening more regularly in future. So yeah, while everyone sympathizes with the industry, given the amount of claims they had to face, and acknowledges as well that there was a lot of good work done, uh, you know, 83% of claims now closed and a lot of people put back to where they were before the floods. Yeah, you have to think this review will turn up some uncomfortable issues. But yeah, fair play for, for volunteering to to look back at that and, and and make sure that we can handle them better next time. Well, over in the UK, Wendy, the FCA has been looking into strata remuneration issues. Of course, they don't call it strata there, or strata, actually. This was triggered by the Grenfell Tower fire, actually, back in 2017. So after that premium surged, there was a lot of focus on the insurance market for multi-occupancy buildings. So the FCA has been taking a look, and it's been particularly critical of commission increases and the way that they are paid to parties in addition to brokers, such as um, building managers. And they sort of think in some cases, the level of payments, you know, doesn't seem to be justified. So, you know, its its uh, recommendations include that they want more information to be made available on on, on the way these commissions are uh, being paid and that the, the apartment leaseholders, um, you know, should be more aware of that and they should be explicitly defined as the insurance customer and that firms should act in their best interests. When they're talking about leaseholders, these are people who might have a hundred-year lease, so it's it's sort of equivalent to to strata apartment owners here. Well, Terry, the situation in Australia is also under the microscope. Unlike their lax attitudes to bathing, could what happens in the UK have any impact here? Yeah, well, it it very well could, and perhaps it even should. Um, we've we've reported extensively on the strata situation in Australia over. Over the past year or so, and especially our astute deputy editor, uh, Wendy Pugh, has become the real expert on it. So <laughs> I'm going to steal a little bit of, of what Wendy's reported to to make the point that I, I think we have to with the, the local situation. Brokers used to rebate or pass on 10% to 15% of the commission to the strata manager, and they'd ret- retain the other 5 to 10%. Fair enough. But now it's more common for the broker to pass most or even all of the commission to the strata manager and then charge a broker fee to the property owners. Trowbridge points out that the, the broker fee can be as high as the commission with total intermediary charges, typically 25 to 35% of the base premium, and, and some even exceed 40%. Look, it's hellish clumsy and it's as transparent as a a bedroom door but maybe what looks to the casual bystander like a ticket clipping exercise really is the most cost efficient system possible i don't know cross pollination across business sectors like this is, is really how business works but there are some big potential regulatory legal and reputational risks i think involved in this system and the 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 Acting on the customer's best interest doesn't seem to be very high on that priority list there. So really, I think that it is going to get looked at. As for the the UK strata market, the Financial Conduct Authority, the, the FCA, is a pretty damn ferocious example of a regulator, and it's a very influential one. So regulators... Leaders all keep in touch with their global counterparts and they often take their inspiration from them. So maybe we will see some movement in, in this area soon. I think we should be prepared for it. Lammable cladding, Miranda. Enlighten me. 
Apparently, there's a new report that suggests there may be other dangerous defects in our building stock. Yes, another day, another issue. Uh, This one relates to passive fire protection. So an academic study from Deakin has found passive fire protection systems are inadequate in a lot of buildings in Victoria, and this is likely to be an Australia-wide problem, and it's calling for a united and concerted effort to fix it. These passive systems are things like firewalls that prevent the spread of fire and help with safe evacuation and access for emergency services. And um, the big problem is that once walls are up and the buildings are finished, it's really hard to fix retrospectively. And so this study is suggesting that we put together a national database. It wants all builders to have more knowledge on the subject and a more collaborative and consistent approach across Australia. And it says the current installation manuals are too complex, too difficult to understand, and building surveyors don't always have the skills to identify non-compliance. And in fact, the industry feedback was that the system has unfairly evolved to rely on the surveyor as the gatekeeper and that the builders have shed too much liability. Well, why does this stuff matter to insurers, John? Well, yeah, it definitely matters. I mean, we've seen with the cladding situation that once these defects are known about, defects that increase a building's risk for fire, it it does impact on property insurance. You know, such defects can mean that a building has a higher risk for insurers and maybe it it even becomes an unacceptable risk. That certainly has happened with, with the cladding as we've seen. Uh, there's also a lot of implications for professional indemnity uh, cover for those within the building industry like surveyors. So, yeah, I think insurers will be interested to know that apparently a large proportion of our buildings in Victoria and probably Australia have these kinds of defects within them. There is renewed concern about the New South Wales Workers' Compensation Scheme and state insurer I Care. Who's saying what, Wendy? Well, the new Labor government in New South Wales um, has directed iCare to limit workers' comp premium increases to 8% for each of the next three financial years, which actually, you know, it sounds like a big amount, but Business New South Wales has said there was a proposal from iCare to raise premiums by 22%, which it says would have, you know, in a one hit would have caused uh, job losses and, and closures. So, of course, the new government is blaming the previous one for not uh, putting through sufficient increases over an extended period. But, you know, I guess been a focus for quite a while and we've had an independent review completed, management changes have been made and improvements are still being introduced to try and um, turn things around with, a, you know, a lot of reasons put forward for, for what the problems are. It feels like iCare have been under fire for years, Terry, and the Victorian scheme appears to be in trouble too. Is there a solution? Let me say from the start, it's not all that unusual for government insurance schemes to get into financial strife, especially in New South Wales. It's a political football. And I've got to say, black holes of a billion or two are hardly unprecedented. Um, I blame the pollies. iCare is the latest and biggest shot yet to get a system in place for New South Wales that's meant to be arm length from the government and provide all the essential services that are expected while collecting enough premium to cover the cost. But now iCare wants this 22% rise in its workers' comp premiums and the new state government is limiting it. So, look, iCare isn't necessarily there to make a huge profit, so you have to wonder how it can keep the gap from 
becoming a black hole. It, it's easy enough when you're new in government and you have the old one to kick, but that gap is going to get wider and deeper on their watch if eye care can't charge what it needs to charge to function as it's meant to. So, you know, that's a, a bit of a dicey situation. I guess the, the Victorian government workers' comp scheme uh, is about to be overhauled because it was designed more than 30 years ago and the government says it's no longer fit for purpose. That scheme made a profit of $43 million last financial year, so good for them. But Victoria's overall government insurance operations lost $1.6 billion, which, of course, has nothing to do with it at all. Other than, you know, a billion dollars being just uh, chicken feed to you. Well, finally, John, one of our daily stories last week revealed that insurers now face a $100,000 payment if they record a significant breach of the code. Yes, that's right. So some some listeners might be thinking, well, this this has been in the code for a couple of years now, and, and they'd be right. The, uh, the latest version of the General Insurance Code of Practice, which was implemented in July 2021, uh, attempted to give the Code Governance Committee more teeth and introduced this idea of a community benefit payment of up to $100,000 as one of the sanctions that the Code Governance Committee could could use. But the trouble is they hadn't, when the code came in, they hadn't figured out exactly how it works. So the committee and the Insurance Council have been discussing how it would actually be implemented. And it's only now that they've figured all that out. So it's only now that the Code Governance Committee has that power really in practice to to impose such a payment. Now, uh, the important thing to say here is that they're not going to be dishing out these $100,000 uh, fines or, or community benefit payments willy-nilly. In, in talking to AFCA, we, we, we've established that uh, this will only be for the sort of most egregious, significant breaches of the code of practice. So I think it would only be where, you know, consumer harm was very high and where an insurer wasn't doing what it needed to do to make sure that such a thing didn't happen again. But yeah, it is it is there. It's one of the powers that they have. So, you know, insurers need need to be aware of that and uh, they shouldn't be surprised if they commit such a an egregious breach if this if this uh, payment is imposed. Well, if it's so egregious, is $100,000 enough, Terry? Oh, look, I, I remember the struggles in ICA way back when over giving the code committee permission to name and shame consistent breaches by insurers. It took years to happen. And there's only ever been one naming and shaming, I think, and that was a very small insurer. The insurer's code of practice is very important to them. It really is important because it's self-regulation and it has to work because the only option is to be regulated. Code of practice breaches have been rising quite significantly over the past few years, and I think this is ICA's way of, of getting this back in line. So a $100,000 fine is, you know, it's not huge. It's a bee sting for, for most companies, but it's big enough to encourage companies to take the code seriously, especially if they're going to be named as well in code compliance reports. Insurers would hate that. 
Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh, Miranda Maxwell, and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.